Hey, it's Andrew. Miles is here too. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. So as we've been covering COVID-19 and doing all this kind of stuff, we've been trying to keep the ads out of the podcast. But one thing that we did want to mention is that if you want to support local journalism, if you want to support what we're doing here, if these updates have been useful for you, one thing that you can do to help us out right now is to buy something from our shop. We have a really cool shop at doorcountypulse.com slash shop. And there's a lot of really cool stuff on there. Yeah, we have great posters from our art director, Ryan Miller of the Door County state parks we have posters of the door county lighthouses the two volume door county living in pictures books and a lot of other great stuff even stickers like if you buy a sticker all of those purchases go to help support this podcast and the work we do each week with the peninsula pulse sending the news out to every mailbox in the county and we can do all that for free when you do that you're supporting the work we're doing here and the weekly edition of the Peninsula Pulse. Once again, that is doorcountypulse.com slash shop. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? I'm doing all right, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm okay. Have you had a chance to step outside today? Uh, just kind of briefly while, uh, while pacing around on phone calls. <laughs> it was actually really nice it's today. Beautiful. I don't know what the... I don't know what the weather was like, but I, I stepped outside and I was like, is it like 60 degrees? And my wife was like, no, it's like 40 degrees. And I was like, why does it feel so warm? Yeah, it does. And it's probably, I think it's just because I've been inside for so long. It's that Wisconsin um, version of spring where like normally if this were like when I was still living in Chicago, today would have been the first day of patio season where every, actually they probably would have done that at about 28, 29 degrees, but where everyone's just opening up their patios hanging out on the sidewalk and drinking beers and soaking in what we would call like the hot summer sun, but what everyone else in the world would call freezing. It is also uh, the start of shorts guy season, <laughs> uh, which I don't mean that it's time to wear shorts. I mean that it's time that shorts guys will put on their shorts and wear them until the first snowfall again. <laughs> so you know what I mean when I say shorts oh, yeah. guys, right? I had one of those in, <laughs> in high school. His name was Sean Canavy. Shout out to Sean. <laughs> I, I now own the property like right next door to where he grew up randomly, but he wore shorts like all through high school every day, all winter long. Like he just did not wear jeans. Just, I don't know, just hated pants or something. I put on a pair of shorts the other day, felt pretty good. I was like, I'm going to be inside. I might as well put on some shorts, but then I had to run to the office. So I changed out of my shorts. <laughs> it was short lived, but it did feel pretty good. <laughs> I'm glad you, you felt like just shorts were unacceptable in the office for some reason. Yeah. I didn't want to show up because it's already like, it's already a weird situation to go into the office and be like, hi, Dave, I'm going to sit at my desk for a second. But then to also be wearing shorts, I just didn't want to add that on top of it. <laughs> you just thought it would offend Dave. I got to say it is it is weird here now, a couple of weeks into our mostly remote work set up at the office. For our listeners out there, generally we have about 24 people who work for us at The Pulse, including our delivery drivers and stuff. But about anywhere from 15 to 20 of us are in the office on any given day. And... For the most of the last two weeks, it's just been Dave and myself and then the occasional other employee who needed to work from here at one time or another. But I got to say, after two weeks of this, I'm, I'm really missing seeing other people's faces in our office and just hearing the banter. We've done a pretty good job of keeping things going on Slack channels and phone calls and and video conferencing. But yeah, it is just weird now not having these kind of regular interactions. Right. So it's Friday as we are recording this. Uh, we'll jump into the COVID-19 updates and stuff here shortly. But the uh, weekly 
issue of The Pulse is out today, and there is a nice little springtime cover on it, which is uh, in contrast to the last couple issues of The Pulse being more stark. Uh, what was the decision-making behind wanting to put a, a nice cover on this issue again? Well, we, we made the switch because... Like every other business, we just kind of got bludgeoned with a hammer a couple of weeks ago and had to kind of reorganize the newspaper on the fly and cut down our pages by about half. And when we did that, we still had a lot of content. Obviously, there's a lot of breaking news related to COVID-19. So we turned our cover into like a more traditional newspaper cover for a couple of weeks just to try and fit in all the content that we had. And and we like to do that. I for me, it was kind of fun to to work in kind of an old newspaper format. But I also, you know, like as we were getting set to put the paper out this week, Dave was like, what about, I feel like we, we still need to have that, like what we are. And what we are is <laughs> traditionally with the Pulse has been like a big image of a person or an event or place in Door County that just makes you, that either looks beautiful or is meaningful and ideally exemplifies that moment of the year. And with all the heavy news and all the gray days lately, Dave really wanted to have some color on the cover and kind of get back to that and give people, at least in the sense of what the Pulse cover looks like, something that's somewhat normal. So that was kind of the thinking behind that. Yeah, I think it was the right call because I got to say, I like seeing a a bright flower on the cover this week. Sometimes I, I joke about that, like, oh, here we go, another flower on the cover. But I really enjoyed seeing it this week. So we'll talk about some of the the things that you can find in this week's issue. Uh, But before we do that, why don't we jump into the COVID-19 updates? Uh, Anything of note to take away from the number of confirmed cases in Wisconsin today? Well, in Wisconsin, of course, the numbers continue to climb, as we would expect, uh, up about another 180 cases today to over 1,900, 37 deaths total, not today. That's only six more from yesterday. Uh, Brown County is sitting at about 24 cases. Door County is still sitting at two. Kiwani still does not have any cases reported. There were a couple of new counties within Wisconsin that reported their first cases. Yeah, that's kind of the where things stand from a Wisconsin perspective. Then uh, obviously there's where things stand from um, ongoing business economic perspective related to COVID-19. There are rumblings that we should expect that April deadline of shelter in place to be extended. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that extends into May. There's everyone's kind of crossing their fingers and hoping for at least like we get some semblance of Memorial Day out of this. So that's certainly what I'm still hoping for, too. Um, right. And then, of course, there's the election impacts. The governor and the legislature continue to spar over the April 7th election. Right now, Wisconsin is the only state that has not delayed that election and not extended it to entirely mail-in ballots. There's, I I would not be surprised. So you have the Republican-controlled legislature, and then you have the Democratic governor in Tony Evers. The leaders of the Republican legislature have said that they do not plan to do anything special to delay the election. I would not be shocked if you didn't see Governor Evers do something similar to what um, Mike DeWine did in Ohio. DeWine, a Republican governor in Ohio, delayed their election at the very last second. Um, a couple of weeks ago, just realizing that it just wasn't going to be able to done safely, be done safely. And I would not be shocked if we didn't see something like that play out in Wisconsin. Evers has so far been saying he does not want to do that. He's hoping it can come through the legislature. But I think everyone will be watching for that. 
This morning you shared with us an article called Closing the Door, How Door County Decided to Ask People to Stay Away. Uh, And this story was published in conjunction with the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism. Can you share with me a little bit about what the article is and the significance of it being shared with uh, with the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism? Well, the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism is a nonprofit journalism site based out of Madison. And it's a really great organization. They what they do is they have um, a small team of reporters and then they partner with other newspapers or, or media outlets in some of all different types. And they produce stories, which then they, they distribute to a wide network of other publications. So we've run stories of theirs before where they provide them free to us. And if, you know, if it touches on a subject that we don't have the bandwidth to cover or the connections or you know, we can't dedicate a reporter to it. It's great because then we can take that content and there they have tremendous photographs and bring that story and localize it and kind of edit around that story to make it local, which so it is essentially like having kind of a one-off freelance journalist, but you're really getting a one-off freelance newspaper department in this case. And so they approached me seven or eight days ago and asked they when Door County was telling people to stay away, they approached me about doing a maybe collaborating on something. And they actually asked me well before all these other stories, similar stories came out, but I just had enough work getting our own paper out and figuring out the business side of our publications that we were only able to finally finish it last night. But we talked about the New York Times article that was kind of framed this story in a way that I thought was inaccurate. So it was nice to get a chance to work on this story with them and give a more accurate version of how Door County came to that decision to ask people not to come here. Right. Yeah. I was reading through the article a little bit today and it's pretty extensive. It looks like it's a, it was a really well done response to or really well done way to share this story. When we had talked about the New York Times article, there was some feelings that maybe things are being misconstrued. And I'm glad that you were able to kind of set the record straight and tell the story as it has been told from the people who were making the decisions. Yeah. I mean, there's probably, I mean, obviously it's informed by all the conversations that I've been having over the last couple of weeks, including ours here on the podcast if, as we talk through this situation and and the different people in our newsroom and what they're hearing out and about in the community. But yeah, there's probably 10, 15 different people quoted in that article and many more sourced. And, you know, it's just kind of given a background, a little more background knowledge of how this community operates day to day this time of year and what these, what an influx would, would mean to our community and kind of soften that story. Like I, I really did think it was a little inaccurate to say that the hard no, like do not come here. Although we're, we're certainly preaching that, but it's not as, like you said, we don't have the bridges up. There's not cops at the border. People aren't walking around with pitchforks unless like, you know, except for the social media army that to your face would never say the things they'll say on social media. You know, people are still welcoming. They'll take care of each other. And that that's actually a point I made in this week's edition of the Peninsula Pulse in an article called Compassion, Not Fear. Basically like, yes, we do want people to stay home. We don't want an influx here. But it's not like it's not like we're turning people away and shouting them out of here. Like we can't, I don't think it's reflects well on us if we're going to welcome them all year when it's advantageous to us and then say, no, don't come here now when when you're scared. So, um, but the other thing with working with the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism that was really great is uh, Coburn Ducart was up here and was able to take a bunch of really great photographs to accompany the story that really helped tell the story. And Coburn, for 
for readers of the Pulse might recognize that last name. Her her father, Tad, actually contributes a lot of photos to us. He's sort of the unofficial official photographer for the fire department up here. And even a couple of his photos made it in the story as well. So hopefully it's another way to tell the story of what at least our small community is going through as we try to grapple with this crisis and and think ahead to what we're going to be when we come out the other side. Yeah, there's some really good portraits in here too, kind of showing the community. I'm dialing in specifically on this picture of Carrie Bauman from Bailey's 57. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the perfect snapshot of like, this is the community as it's reacting to this crisis. I, I, I think this is a really wonderful piece of journalism. So I'm glad that you were able to get this out. Well, thank you, Andrew. And one other note I'll mention is Corbin Ducart is also our photography judge for this year's HAL Prize that will run this summer. The deadline for that is coming up May 1st to submit photography and writing to that contest. But um, we're really excited to have Coburn uh, be a part of that and judging the photography side of that contest. Yeah, if you want to hear more about the HAL Prize, a couple weeks back, me and Grace Johnson and Steve Gretzmacher all sat down to talk about the HAL Prize this year and how it's going to be different from HAL Prizes of the past, uh, namely that it's going to be in the first issue of the 8142 Review, which is the Pulse's new publishing and journalism magazine that will be coming out this year. So uh, if you go back a couple of weeks to introducing the 8142 review, you can hear all about the HAL Prize. I believe we announced the judges in that episode as well. uh, So you can find out more information. Uh, Speaking of The Pulse uh, and the new issue that's out today, are there any other articles that are worth mentioning, either COVID related or not, that people can look forward to? Uh, Yeah, believe it or not, there are a couple of things that are not COVID related, Um, just to take your mind off it. We do, as always, we have our crossword puzzle in here. We have uh, Charlotte Lukes continues to write the Door to Nature column this week for the cooks out there and foragers out there. uh, It's a story about wild leeks, also known as ramps, which this is kind of crazy. When I lived in Chicago, you could, those were extremely um, sought after plants they're little wild onions that grow in the they grow like crazy up here actually this time of year they start popping up if you look out in the in the woods in a lot of places in the county you'll see a lot of green on the floor and you might wonder what that is in many cases those are ramps and they're great for sauteing or pickling my wife has taught me how to do all these kind of things um and they they're great with eggs and either just diced up like leeks and things so an article about those. Um, there's Matt Pottis did a piece on Max McHugh, who kind of got shafted out of a chance to compete in the um, national championships by COVID-19. But he's a Sturgeon Bay swimmer who now, uh, Sturgeon Bay graduate who now swims for the University of Minnesota. He's a sophomore there, really talented kid, but tells a little bit of it, his story. And, you know, there's also not in this week's issue, but online, it goes up today, is Les Benshawel has done a great story on the Door County Meals Cooperative, which is helping people get fed throughout this crisis. So you have a lot of kids who are not getting their school lunches, who maybe relied on those. You have a lot of older adults, like maybe people don't realize this, but there's ADRC um, down in Surgeon Bay puts on a daily lunch that serves anywhere from 80 to 200 people almost every day in that beautiful facility in the old highway department there. You had daily meals at places like the Bailey's Harbor Town Hall, or not daily, but um, weekly meals. 
at many sites for older adults and senior citizens to do low-cost lunches for like $5, that kind of thing. All those are shut down right now. So what the Meals Cooperative has done is try and bring the meals to the people. So they're working with 12 different organizations, a bunch of different kitchens, all the schools to make these nutritious meals and then distribute them all over the county and even into Kiwanee County. Um, so Celeste did a great job interviewing Adam Peranto, who's really helped spearhead that effort. And they are now doing, I think, something on the order of 19,000 meals a week and for for at least 600 different people or families. Um, it's just amazing that he's ramped that up in just like two weeks and how to coordinate all that and get all that food distributed. First of all, get all that food made, but then distribute it in so many different sites in the county. Apparently, there's so much demand that he has run out in, in several instances and had to turn people away. Um, so they're they're working to, to raise more money, to be able to do more, find more kitchen sites. And he's his plan is to try and do this for the duration. So he's kind of making a 10-week a plan to continue providing those meals for people. So um, That's great. As we look around and we get really frustrated, whether it be watching the press conferences of our president or our governors or just frustrated with um, the situation in general right now, just look a little harder and you up here, we're fortunate. You don't have to look all that hard to find people doing really cool stuff and helping their neighbors and um, lending a hand to people they've never met before. So it's uh, this, this story is like a, a fantastic example of that. Right. Uh, and I think we should also mention too, we talked about it yesterday, but the repulse is in this issue yeah. of repulse as well, <laughs> which is our annual April Fool's issue. Uh, it's a reduced version of what we normally put out, but it is full of some fun stories for people to enjoy, uh, all of which are to be taken in jest, but uh, it, it should serve up some levity over the weekend. And I hope people enjoy what they read. Yeah. Have you ever seen a chicken parade, Andrew? Is that anything like the goat parade? It's very similar. I guess Egg Harbor is launching a chicken parade to compete with the goat parade this year. Um, is it on the same day? It's. I, it's. I think it might be a week earlier. I'm not sure, but there, it's going to be four thousand chickens through the center of Egg Harbor. And great. And they all get funneled down to the marina. Yeah. Yep. And then they they lay eggs and then they have an egg fight. But that's that's a new festival in Egg Harbor this year on June 13th. Perfect. That is good to hear. Uh, Miles, is there anything else that people need to know before we wrap up today? I think that'll do it. Hopefully, everyone just stay healthy and we won't have to keep reporting on new cases in Door County if everyone does their job. Yeah, that would be good to hear. Well, Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And I look forward to chatting with you again tomorrow. Thanks, Andrew.